0: You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Christmas movies. You have been watching some Christmas movies in your house? Let me tell you what we do in my house. In my house, we don't watch any Christmas movies until after the Thanksgiving meal. But what we usually do on Thanksgiving Day is we watch westerns. So this year, I introduced my boys to Clint Eastwood, the good, the bad, and the ugly on Thanksgiving Day, and then we transitioned right into the Santa Claus. It was a seamless transition. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Home Alone 2, I think it is. Home Alone 2. There's a scene at the beginning, if you know the movie, where Buzz, the bully big brother, is standing right behind Kevin on stage, and he's like playing the candles, and the candles are like right on his head. If you go to our YouTube channel and you watch the sermon from last week, the Advent candles hit me in the head right in the same way. The angle is just perfect. So if you missed last week's message, go watch it, and watch for the the Advent candles. It's pretty hilarious. All right, enough of that. If you have your copy of God's Word or your ESV scripture journal uh, that contains the gospel of Luke, grab that and let's go to Luke chapter 1. If you've not yet received one of these ESV scripture journals, we'd love to give you one. That's our Advent gift to you. Uh, There are some more of those that you can find on the tables in the back of the room today. Hopefully there's enough to go around, but we'll just keep buying them and keep giving them out until everybody gets one of those. We're going to be looking this morning at Luke chapter 1 verses 57 to 80, that's going to be on page 14 of your scripture journal, if you're following along with us there. And if you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for His people, so listen carefully to these words. I want to read Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80 to get us started. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We have been looking at the Gospel of Luke for a couple of weeks now. We'll be in Luke between now, the Advent season, all the way up to Easter of 2023. Luke was the first Christian historian. He provides a reliable account for us, modern readers, a reliable account of the birth, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Luke was trained as a physician He was an intelligent, highly intelligent, and conscientious man. He had access to the best sources, the eyewitnesses who walked with Jesus. And Luke provides an orderly account for us of the life, the ministry of Jesus. It might surprise you to know that Luke is responsible for more material in the New Testament, more material than any other single author, having written both Luke, the gospel, and Acts, volume 2, which together comprise about 28% of the entire New Testament. Now, in the past couple of weeks, as we've been looking at Luke's gospel, we've focused on two related birth announcements. Let me bring you up to speed. We started first with Zechariah and Elizabeth, an elderly couple unable to have children. The angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah with good news. Zechariah your barren wife will have a child and his name will be John. But of course, if you were here, you remember Zechariah didn't believe the news from the angel. He spoke out from a posture of unbelief and because of that, God temporarily took away Zechariah's ability to speak, promising that his words would return when his son was born. The scene then changed, and we met a young woman named Mary, a virgin, betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, the common character in both of those stories is the angel Gabriel. Gabriel now appears to Mary, telling Mary that though she is a virgin, she will have a son. And that son's name will be Jesus. Mary couldn't possibly have understood everything that was happening to her. She did not fully understand, but she fully trusted God. And so she replied, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Today, we jump back to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their son, John, has just been born. Zechariah's silence has been broken, just as God promised through the angel. But His silence is broken and people take notice of it. The neighbors take notice of it. You see, it's not every day that a baby is born and you hear the cry of the baby and at the same time a mute man somehow regains the ability to speak. This is is not normal. So the neighbors, they begin to talk, they begin to ask questions. Look at the one question in particular they ask in verse 64 and following immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. The question, the question that surely every parent asks We ask this of our own child, right? What then will this child be? What will he or she become? We can only hope, dream, pray. But Zechariah, he has been visited by an angel. He has a message from on high. He knows exactly what his son will become. He's already been told that his son John will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit from the moment he's conceived... That he will have a life mission, a life ministry, and that will be to prepare the way for the king. John is not the king. He's the herald of the king. He prepares the way for the king. Immediately following this passage, we find Zechariah, the father of John, celebrating his voice is back, and one of the first things he does is he sings. The second Christmas song. If you were here last week, we heard the first Christmas song, sung by Mary. It's called the Magnificat. Today we'll study the second Christmas song, sung by Zechariah. It's called the Benedictus. It contains many of the same themes that we saw in Mary's song, most notably the faithfulness of God. Zechariah will celebrate that God has been faithful to His Word. Long ago He promised Abraham that from Abraham would come a great nation, a nation of Israel, and that one day Israel would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Long ago, God promised to King David that one day an even greater king would come from his bloodline, a king with a kingdom that would last forever, a king that finally would lead God's people faithfully in the fulfillment of their mission to be a light to the world. Do you hear the universal scope of those promises? Blessing to all nations, light to the world. The first part of this song that Zechariah sings, it's all about that universal scope. Salvation has come to the world. God is acting to redeem the world. That's the first part of his song. And then the second part, the part we're going to focus on this morning, we're going to see Zechariah, a father, celebrating the role his son will play in this new age of salvation. We're going to learn exactly what it means to be a herald of the king and how we, too, can serve as heralds. According to this passage, according to this, the second Christmas song, a herald of the king does three things. A herald of the king tells people where to find forgiveness, where to find purpose, and where to find peace. Forgiveness, purpose, and peace. First, let's think about forgiveness. Beginning in verse 76, the second part of Zechariah's song, clearly focusing on the role his son will play. We know that because of these words. And you, child, and you, John, here's what John will do. You will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God. So the first thing to take note of here is that John, Zechariah's son, John will be the prophet of the Most High. Now if you were here last week, you'll remember that Jesus is referred to as the Son of the Most High, meaning that Jesus shares the same divine essence or nature with God the Father and God the Spirit. Jesus is fully God, God in the flesh, the Son of the Most High. John is not the Son of the Most High. He's not God in the flesh. He is the prophet of the Most High. He's the prophet of God. He is the one who will point away from himself, who will proclaim another, announce another. He will point people to the king. He will point people to Jesus. And everyone who looks with faith to the one to whom John points, they will find forgiveness of their sins. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Now, three questions we need to ask about this claim about forgiveness. First of all, what is sin? Secondly, why do we need forgiveness of our sins? And third, who can forgive our sins? So first, what is sin? Now maybe when you hear the word sin, like most people perhaps, you think of bad things. Things you're not supposed to do. Lying, cheating, stealing, beating people with a stick. You know, I don't know what comes into your mind. But bad things that we're not supposed to do, right? Sin is not merely doing bad things. Sin is putting good things in the place of God. Sin is not merely doing bad things. It's putting good things in the place of God. All sin boils down to cherishing, chasing created things rather than the creator God. Sin can be boiled down to one word, just like salvation. It can be boiled down to one word, substitution. Sin is finding a substitute for God putting something else in his place. See, if you have a creator, if there's a God who made you, then you owe him your absolute allegiance. You owe him your ultimate loyalty, your love. And when you love something more than you love the God who made you, that is sin. You've found a substitute for God. So sin is not merely doing bad things. It's putting good things in the place of our Creator God. Now, the second question, why do we need forgiveness of our sins? Well, working from that definition of sin, it's easy to see the truth of what the Bible declares, that all of us are sinners. Maybe you haven't beat people with a stick. Maybe you haven't done the bad things that we tend to think of But I bet if you look at your life honestly, you would have to say, there have been times where I have put something or someone in the place of God. Therefore, I am a sinner. And because we are sinners, an enormous chasm has erupted between us and God. Fellowship with our Creator has been fractured. And that fellowship cannot be restored until our sins are forgiven. So, third question. Who can forgive our sins? Sin is against God. Therefore, God and only God can act to forgive us. Think of it like this. If I say to my very young child, Son, don't play in the street. We live on a busy road. Cars are very dangerous. Don't play in the street. And then immediately he runs and plays in the street. Just totally disregards everything I told him. If he does that, he cannot then go to his preschool teacher and ask for forgiveness. And even if he does, she can't grant the forgiveness because he didn't disobey her. He disobeyed me. He disobeyed his father's His Father who loves Him and cares for Him and wants to protect Him, He must come to me and ask for forgiveness, and I am the one who can grant it. All sin, the Bible says, all sin is against God. Therefore, God, and only God, can grant Forgiveness. In the beginning of this song that Zechariah is singing, he's singing all about the forgiveness of sin that will come from Jesus. So don't you see what that means? It must mean that Jesus is God acting to forgive us. Jesus is God taking that action to forgive us of our sins. That's the first thing Zechariah sings about. It's the first thing his son John will announce. It's the first thing a herald proclaims, how to find forgiveness. Secondly, a herald proclaims how to find purpose. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light Light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. John will proclaim light. He will point people to light because Jesus is the light of the world. The light of the world. Now, we don't feel these words in the same way that the first century readers would have. This metaphor is lost on us because we live in a world that's full of artificial light. We don't know the limitations and the dangers of darkness... ...in the way that first century readers did. So we're going to need to engage our imaginations for just a moment... ...so that we can feel this metaphor. I want you to do your best to picture a dark room. I'm talking complete darkness. No windows, no lamps, no light switches, no iPhones, no devices of any kind. Now with that level of darkness... Think about what comes along with it. It brings disorientation. Where am I? It brings division. Where are you? I can't find you. It even brings disability. I feel powerless. Powerless to escape this. Powerless to do anything. Throughout Luke's gospel, we will see Jesus heal people including blind people but there's one story in another gospel that I think best illustrates this point this idea that Jesus is the one who gives light to those who sit in the darkness in John chapter 9 there's a story of a man who's not just blind he's a man who was born blind Jesus comes upon him one day and Jesus stops to help him Now, we've already seen Jesus heal people in John's gospel, like we will in Luke's gospel a bit later. But in John 9, this episode is different. See, all the other times that Jesus has healed someone, it's been a healing of restoration. He's restored something that was lost. So a man lost the ability to walk. He once had it. He lost it. Jesus brought it back. But in John 9, this is different. This man was born blind. He's never had the ability to see. Think of the things this man had never seen. He had never seen the beauty of creation. Never seen a bird fly. A flower bloom. Wrap your mind around this. He had never seen another human being. He had never even seen himself. Jesus stops to help him. Mysteriously, Jesus spits in the mud. He mixes his saliva into the dirt, makes the mud. He takes the mud and he applies it to the blind man's eyes. And then he sends him to wash in a pool called the Pool of Siloam. The blind man obeys. He gets to the pool. He dips his hands into the water and he brings them to his face to wash the mud. And something miraculous happens. His hands. He sees them. For the first time ever. The water, he sees it. The stones, the sky, he sees it all. Jesus brought healing to the blind man. But why heal him in this way? Have you ever thought about that? Why heal him with mud and with this pool? The pool is an easy one. The name of the pool is the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. The name of the pool points to the identity of the healer. Jesus is the sent Son of God. The one sent to deal with the problem of our sin. The one sent to deal with all the darkness in the world. But the mud, the mud is less clear but equally important in the story. What does Jesus do? He spits his saliva mixed with the dirt. Some of himself mixed with some of the earth. And the result is healing. What is it that we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate Jesus. Jesus himself coming to the earth. Mixing himself, as it were. Mixing himself with the earth. And the result? Healing. Redemption. Light. The darkness is conquered. See, Jesus healing this blind man, healing him physically, it gives us an unforgettable picture of what Jesus can do for us spiritually. Remember the things that blind man never had seen before. He had never seen creation, never seen another human being, never seen himself. When you place your faith in Jesus, Jesus gives you light. He changes the way you see everything. You can see the world. And for the first time ever, you can see your place and your purpose within it. He brings you purpose. You see people in a whole new way. You're able to see people, regardless of their color, their culture, their class, as valuable, as lovable, because God himself sent his son for them. And you're able to see yourself differently. See, you'll never see yourself truly until you come to Jesus. Because Jesus shows you that you are valuable. You are lovable. God gave his son for you. Jesus, the light of the world, the one who gives light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death. He changes the way we see everything. This is the second thing that John, the herald of the king, will announce. How to find purpose, how to find forgiveness. And there's one more. How to find peace. And you, child, you will point to Jesus, the one who will guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the first of many mentions of this word peace in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 2, when the angels appear again, They're going to say that the birth of Jesus means peace on earth. Throughout the story of the Bible, peace refers to a person's total well-being. Total well-being as a result of being in harmony with God. Or we could say it like this. Jesus brings us three related types of peace. Godward peace, inward peace, and outward peace. Godward peace, meaning he brings reconciliation between us and our creator. That great chasm that has opened because of our sin, the fractured fellowship, Jesus restores it. He brings us back to our creator God. This Godward peace is the most important one and it's the one from which the other two flow. The second type of peace he brings us is inward peace or we could call this one peace of heart. See, each and every one of us We want to feel important. We want to feel significant. And so we will chase after, relentlessly, we will chase after whatever it is we think will make us feel and appear significant. We will chase after athletic accomplishments, sexual adventures, fame, fortune, whatever it is we think will finally make us feel significant but the result the inevitable result is exhaustion and emptiness see none of those things can fulfill our heart our hearts not permanently not ultimately because god is the one who made us god is the one who gave us that desire for significance and he is the only one who can satisfy our hearts Jesus is the one who can bring your heart peace so that finally you can rest. He brings Godward peace, inward peace, and then finally outward peace. See, Jesus transforms our hearts. He makes us new. He gives us the power of His Spirit so that we are able to live at peace with others. We have been forgiven, and we can forgive others others. Jesus changes everything. This is what John, the herald of the king will proclaim. This is what all heralds proclaim. We've covered a lot. Let's wrap up. I want to give you three final implications based on what we've seen in Zechariah's Christmas song for this third Sunday of Advent. Three implications for belief and for practice. The first one, very simply, believe in Jesus this Christmas. Believe in Jesus. The very things that Zechariah has been singing about. Forgiveness, purpose, peace. You too can sing about these things. You can sing about them. If you will only look with faith to Jesus. Believe in the Son of the Most High. The Son of God who came to redeem you to save you from your sins believe in jesus secondly rest in jesus this christmas now if this first call is for the unbeliever in the room the second call is primarily for the believer in the room believer rest in jesus you can rest when the work is done and the work is done Jesus has done everything necessary to redeem us. He has accomplished our salvation. There's nothing left for you to do. Your works do not save you. And, listen carefully to this, because it's a common misconception. Not even the strength of your faith saves you. Not even the strength of your faith saves you. So many people live lives of fear and anxiety thinking, I believe, but I'm not sure I believe hard enough. I'm not sure I believe strong enough. It's not the strength of your faith that saves you. Here's an analogy. Some of you have come to Florida from the north to avoid the cold of the winter. You'll understand this analogy. Floridians, You're going to have to just use your imagination when I describe this mysterious substance called ice. I don't know anything about that around here. If a lake is frozen, but just barely, just barely, not even an inch of ice covering that lake, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how hard I believe that that ice will hold me. If I walk out on that lake, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm going down. On the other hand, if a lake is frozen solid, a foot of ice, if I walk onto that lake, whether I walk slowly, not quite sure about it, or confidently, that ice is going to hold me because that ice is strong. Jesus is the strong ice. It's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the strength of the one in whom you have faith that saves you. You see the difference? Jesus is the strong ice. He can hold you. Rest in Him. Rest in Him. Finally, last implication. Announce Jesus this Christmas. Just like John, the child, Harold, did. Announce Jesus. Is there someone in your life that you know is struggling under the weight of guilt? They don't know what it is to be forgiven. Is there someone that is struggling to find purpose in life? Is there someone, that their relationships are a mess. You, believer, you know the one they need. It's Jesus. How can you begin to announce Jesus, King Jesus, to that family member, that friend, that coworker, that person in need? See, God's grace given to us, it is always intended to be on its way to someone else always. Let's pray. Our good and gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Christmas song that we were able to study this morning and for all that it proclaims as true. The forgiveness of sin, purpose, such great purpose in life, and peace. Peace with you, God. Peace of hearts peace with our fellow man. Oh, such good news, and all because of you, Jesus. All because of you. May we rest in you, who you are and what you have accomplished for us. And may we see the people in our lives who are not yet able to rest They don't know that forgiveness. They don't have that purpose. They don't have that peace. May we see them. And, oh, Lord, we ask for the courage, the boldness to speak. To speak truth and love. Work in our hearts today, God, and in the hearts of those we love, those who need you. In Jesus' name. Amen.